Success to me is when I think about all the things I've done and I think the world and, and others, when they read my bio, they're impressed with the law degree, the success in business, all of that kind of stuff. But what I, what I feel most successful in is as a mother. Like I could have fallen down in those other things, but if I would have fallen, and I'd made plenty of mistakes and I cry about it at least a couple times a week. I say, Lord, help me to forgive myself because my boys have already forgiven me. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Seek, Go, Create. This is your host, Tim Winders. I'm an executive coach, and I'm excited today. I get to talk to another coach. Because us coaches, we love chatting with each other. This is where, here at Seek, Go, Create, we challenge the conventional definitions of success. We're going to poke a lot of holes in the word success today. We're going to explore stories of transformation, and we're going to do all that in leadership, business, and in ministry. Today, I'm talking to Judy Weber. She's a Christian business coach for women, and she's the founder of Judy Weber Co. And she's got expertise in scaling business. And I love the words that describe one of her products. It's the joyful scaling method. And we're going to speak about those. We're going to talk about that. She's on a mission to help high achieving Christian female CEOs build and scale their business with simplicity and joy. Love that. Judy, welcome to Seek Go Create. Thank you so much, Tim. It's an honor to be here. Glad you're here and you're coming from just outside of Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah, but I got to say I'm a Philly girl. I'm a transplant. So, Did they let you in? Did you, did they have any kind of quote or anything? Said no more Philly people down there? They you know what's so funny? I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I have to say that since we moved here two years ago, when my husband and I go out to eat, a lot of Northeasterners are coming down here. See, I'm telling you. So my wife and I, yeah, we grew up in the Atlanta area and we were born there. So we just kept watching the people from the North come down. And so, uh, but yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful area you're in. So let's do a little pretend here. Let's just say we just bump into each other, which we sort of did, but I've done a lot of background checking on you and reading and listening with podcasts and all, but let's just say we just meet. And I say, Judy, what do you do? What's your answer? What do you usually tell people? The short answer is I'm on mission to normalize miraculous results for women in business. And I come from nothing and from nowhere. I'm one of six kids, very poor. People like me didn't do half of what I've already done. And because of that, looking back, that's what brought me to my life mantra, pursue the impossible. And I teach my clients how to do exactly that. Interesting. And primarily your audience would be women. Yeah. All Christian women. That is who I work with. Good. So there's a few things there. We're going to get into more details because I'm probably going to poke at you and say, why just Christian? Why women? Things like that. But Great. before before we do that, there's something that was very intriguing about kind of your background and your story. So this might get us off to a good start or shaky start. We'll see. We'll just see where it goes. But, uh, but I noticed that you had a background as a trial attorney. Did I read that correctly? Yes, sir, you did. Tell me more about that because I, this, okay, I'll just go ahead with the bad joke. I'm always intrigued by how attorneys end up being Christians, but that's the, 
Sorry. Well, we may edit that out. We probably will need to edit that out. We'll see. You know, it's so funny. I will say that the most awesome part about my time as a trial attorney in Philly was walking from the parking garage to the courthouse and talking to the homeless people on my way. And so I purposefully, I, I don't like to park in parking garages. That's one of my things. So I would walk, I, I would park far away and I'd have five or six blocks to go. And so I would talk to them. And at first when I talked to them, they're like, why are you talking to me? Because I'm dressed like an attorney and I have my briefcase and all the things. And can I tell a quick story about that? Sure, go ahead. Okay, one time when I was on trial and so every day for two weeks, I, I was walking back and forth with all the bags and all the things. But there was this one guy who got to know me and he goes, you know what, ma'am, if you really, if you could really help me, I'd appreciate it. I, uh, you know, down on his luck, this and that. And as we talked by, I'd say, God bless and all that. So they knew that Jesus. So here's the day. I go, look, if you come back here tomorrow morning, when I walk by at 8 a.m., I will give you some money, but it's going to come with some conditions. Are you okay with that? And he goes, yes, ma'am. Long story short, I hold some money in my hand and I say, here's the deal. This money's not from me. It's from Jesus Christ. And I went into that whole spiel, right? So I said, so here's the deal. I need you to promise me, number one, you understand that it's from Jesus. So you have to thank him. Okay. And I was telling him who that is, whatever. And then I said, the other thing, this can't be for liquor or drugs. Okay. This has got to be for food. Do you promise me that's what it's for? So I didn't realize right like next to me, catching the end of this was a woman in some fancy schmancy car, whatever. Like a main, main line of Philly is like the Mount Pleasant here in this area. It's like the ritzy ditzy, the rich people, whatever. She gets out a big SUV. And so I walked toward court after I hand the guy the money. She goes, you just threw that money away. I said, excuse me? I'd like to say, excuse me, make them say it again so that they understand what you're saying is ridiculous. So she said it again. And I go, ma'am, I may have changed that man's life. But what he does with that's up to the Lord God Almighty. I don't regret giving him that money. And she just went. But if they don't understand the power of Jesus Christ, then to them, that would just be that I was a fool. I wasn't a fool. That's right. And it's really not your role. It's not our role for what happens next. We're just I don't know, planting the seed or being obedient or whatever it is that that we do. So anyway, yeah, that is really cool. So I feel like there's a few stories here and I think I shared this with you right, right before we recorded. You got a great podcast, the Joyful Scaling Podcast. I went in early this morning and I listened to about three or four episodes. And one of the coolest ones, I went back a couple of years and listened to one where you interviewed, I think, two out of your three sons that I think they just graduated from Liberty University or two of them going into ministry. And I don't know the youngest one. I think Ben didn't want to be on the podcast or something like that, which is typical with children, right? You got couple of them participate and one may not. But, but one of the things that I just, I picked up on is there's like stories here and we're all about the story of redefining success. I do want to say for the person listening in that we're going to dive into some tips, some things that business people need, specifically women. We're going to do that shortly, but I like to dig in and get some story first. So you mentioned, you've already mentioned some things that intrigued me. I wrote down six kids grew up poor, and then I've got the whole trial attorney thing. And then somewhere along the way, you made a transition from Philadelphia down to the South near Charleston, Somerville down there, and started working with with Christian, Christian business women. Wherever you want to start there, 
keeping in mind redefining success is what we're looking at because it sounds like you've done it at least a few times. You've repositioned or whatever, pivoted, whatever words we want to use. So what do you think you should share about those? Okay. So because I was raised poor, I didn't think I could do a lot of things. So you hear a lot about that these days. Oh, people like me don't X, Y, or Z. I thought that too. So we, I'm just going to say this and whatever, but look, we shouldn't look at anybody and think we know their life. You might look at me and say, look at my bio there. Oh, she's done a lot of things. She must've come from money. No, sir. I didn't come from money and I'm grateful that I didn't because there's two things I had in my home growing up, Jesus Christ and a whole lot of love and the most encouraging parents ever. They made their mistakes, but they were just amazing in the way that they, I mean, mom said, look, you be a leader, you leader or follower. I want you to be a leader. I want you to be a leader. And she herself had been raped at the age of 10. So I always say that she poured into me from an empty cup. I don't know how she did it, but for Christ, right? And long story short, when I finally decided, and that's a key word in my teaching and coaching, decide, it's one of the most powerful things we can do, decide to follow Christ, decide to go all in on your business, right? But when I decided to go to law school, then it was downhill from there. Okay, great. Now I decided, now I applied, now I'm in. And Judy does well in school always. So I decided to do it and I accomplished it. There were some wibs and wabs through the way, but I graduated in the top 10. And then I got this great job and I thought, this is great. I'm going to coast all the way. What happened is Michael, my first came along. I started that job in August of 95. I found out I was pregnant in January of 96. And I couldn't have been more excited and more happy. I didn't understand my mom. Oh, so wise, even though she was a stay-at-home wife. She said, Judy, when you enter this man's world, be careful. I laughed. I said, it's 1995. I'm thinking to myself, she don't know nothing. But don't, it didn't take long for me to realize that's the case. When I announced that I was pregnant, I was blacklisted. That means I'm off the partnership track. How dare I want to have a child before I, I'm just a first year attorney and all these things. So that was like my attorney thing. And so I remember thinking, gosh, this office is so neat. And I'm looking out at Philadelphia and I'm like, I don't care. I knew this wasn't for me. But I remember years later, my brother's like, Judy, don't you regret spending $100,000 or more on your law school degree? And I said, heck no, Rick. I said, I use that every day in business and I've used it every day since. And that learning how to think strategically as a winner each and every time and problem solving and decision making, that's what I do and that's what I teach my client. So in the way of this idea of what is success, I finally came to realize the success isn't chasing what the world tells you to chase. It's listening to what the Lord God is calling you to. One more last story on that. In 2019, the summer, I spent on my couch with a notebook and a Bible and tissues. I was crying out because I had just left a business with my twin sister. I loved her. She was my best friend in life. And I didn't think that if anybody said we couldn't work together, I'd say, you're crazy. You don't know this relationship that I have with my twin sister. And there was a time, I'll tell you, Tim, I didn't know that the relationship itself could be salvaged, but praise God, but God, right? So anyway, that was the summer that I listened to the Lord and he said, Judy, I don't want you to focus just on real estate ladies. That's where I was before. I was focusing on real estate brokers and team leaders and agents who are really going for it. But he said, no, you need to expand it to other service providers, but all women and Christian. And why? And years later, it all came so clear because he is the root of everything I teach mindset and strategy. 
So there's a little peek into that. I'm sure you can probably dig a little bit deeper with some follow-up questions. I've got a lot of, lot of digging to do. I'm sitting here taking notes and I'm trying to decide which way to go. I think what I'd love to do first, before we get away from, I'll call it Judy, the early years, is this the way you were raised and then going down the path you went? I'm sure that you were either doing very well financially or had the definite possibility of doing well financially when you started in that attorney, an attorney role. T tell me about your mindset about money coming from very little yeah. to now all of a sudden in a role that is perceived as having a lot. And maybe you were having a lot, but it probably was the hope of partner. I mean, I know a lot of, a lot of, of course, that culture, the business culture is the future money, but tell me about the mindset of money you had growing up. And then what it did for you when you started having some come in, because I'm always curious about that. Yeah, so good. I still struggle with some money issues, some stumbling blocks, because ever since I was a little girl, I heard things like making money is hard. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer. Money doesn't grow on trees. Rich people don't trust them. They're greedy. They don't care about people. They're a-holes, basically. They're all things negative when it comes to that. And the sad thing was when I got into that law firm and I saw not only how they behaved in the courtroom and in the office, but also at family events, this, this law firm that I joined was like, it was actually in Wilmington, Delaware, because a country girl like me was actually afraid of Philadelphia. So I was afraid of Philly. So Wilmington was a smaller city, so I could do that. But we had a lot of personal interactions outside of the office because this was a really great firm. Did so many things, black tie affairs, like just so crazy. But one time I was pregnant with Michael. It was the summer, I guess, when I was six, seven months pregnant. And I saw this cute little two-year-old boy running up to his mother. I didn't know who she was because behind him was this looked like a 20-year-old girl who was chasing after him. And she, he was like, mommy, mommy. And the woman was like, she looked, she didn't even respond to the boy. She looked up to the nanny and said, get him off me. I'm busy. That's why we hired you. And that's just one of a couple stories. So that just confirmed what I always said. Like, how dare you? Like, this is a child that the Lord blessed you with. And you're, it was just, it was sick and disgusting. And I was holding back tears as I am right now. I'm very emotional. And I remember I came home to my husband and I said, I never want to be like them. I never want to be like them. In more, re more recent years, through coaching and maturing in the Lord, I come to know that I can have as much money as the Lord will bless me with and never be like them. Like their way, the way that even a majority of rich people are, doesn't define who I will be as that as well. And so that was like mind opening. But see, People back then, we didn't, they, we didn't have these conversations. We didn't have attorneys on speed dial. We didn't have friends in high places. So there was always this mystique and it was a negative mystique about them. So that was my early days of this. Wow, I actually have money now. I don't know what this feels like. Did you ever find, one of the things I noticed about myself, my wife and I have had discussions about this too, because we were, I don't think we were raised or I don't think we could say that we would be in that middle, mid, middle, maybe low middle, depending on where we were in the pecking order in the Atlanta area where we were growing up. 
but uh, but we also had some similar programming in that you wanted to do well, but not too well. So there, there's a success, financial success, but you don't want to be like the people you just mentioned. And I'll pose it in this way, as far as the question goes, you work with a lot of people. I work with a lot of people also. And it's, you notice things in other people that you sometimes need to work on in yourself also, which is some people don't ever look at, I think you're okay with this. Don't ever look at coaches and say, oh, they're perfect. They've got it all together. No, everybody's, we're all working on things together. It's just sometimes we can see it in other people better than ourselves. But number one, did you ever notice, sabotage is a strong word, but did you ever get to places and go, ooh, I don't belong here. Let me back it down. Or later you looked back and backed it down. I wonder about that with the positioning that we were in at one point. And then let's relate it to people that might be listening in that you've seen in other people. If you've got a story or a situation or someone that can be helpful, because I do think this money conversation is important for business people. Yeah. The first thing you that came to mind when you said sabotage and I don't belong, I never really thought that I felt that. And only recently, and I don't know that it relates to money as much as being ever mindful of other people's time. Okay, how do I say this? I love to be the center of attention. I'm an extrovert. I love to be the center of attention. Hello, and anybody want to see me do anything, say anything? You agree? You're like that too, right? But I came to realize in a high-level mastermind that I was in, when it was my turn to talk, I felt like my own insides felt, I want to ask the question and move along because that's what I am. I'm very like this. I'm like, let this go. I'm not a BSer, right? And so after the call, I felt like, why do some people just linger? And they've already gotten their answer, and yet they keep going over. Meanwhile, hello, shut up, please, so somebody else gets a chance. So it's not really money-related, but as far as I'm like, you know what? I need to be okay with taking up space and not feeling selfish because I'm taking up space in that container. And so I was thinking, wow, I wonder if any of my clients have that. And so I want to be mindful of that. And then as it relates to marketing and even having big goals, and I know I'm going far afield here, what I found is that because we're Christian, a lot of us have this hang up, I think especially women, that I can't have my goals too high because then they, they, all these scripture come up in there. They're perverse, they're perversions of scripture, like money is the root of all evil or this idea of selfish ambition. So we really just need to be grounded in and fully rooted in the word of God and understand that there were many rich people in the Bible, not the least of which is Proverbs 31. That Proverbs 31 woman was a serial entrepreneur and the Bible specifically says 3118. She was profitable in her trading. So we shouldn't feel guilt or shame or any of that for that. So I don't know that's exactly where he wanted when that came up to my brain. No, I think that's perfect because, and in some ways, I think we're just allowing the Holy Spirit to lead and guide a conversation here, which I think is probably the best one because probably I could have an agenda, probably you could have an agenda, but let's just kind of let it flow here because I agree with that. I think, and of course, the whole root of what I hear you saying is what's our identity. Where's that identity rooted? Is it we don't belong at the table? I don't belong in this mastermind. I don't belong around the corporate board table for whatever reason, because of my sex, because of where I was raised, because of whatever. I think that's typical and common in a lot of business settings. And a lot of people have to address that at some point 
and then we've got this whole, let's go in, like you brought up, let's throw this in the mix is this programming of, I need to keep my eyes on Jesus. It's all about Jesus, but yet I need business strategy and marketing plans too. I need strategy. I need to be focused. I need to, we'll get into hustle culture and all that in a little while, but you know, I need to go, go, go. I need to get all this stuff done. And I think that's going to give me an opening maybe for my next question that I wanted to get a foundation for before we just start exploding into a lot of other areas as far as business strategy and scaling. How did you, what was your spiritual walk coming along? You mentioned that you were in a household that they obviously knew who Jesus was, and there was probably some church that was involved and things like that. And was it that you, did you come out of the womb as a Jesus follower and you just progressed along the way without any hiccups, backslides or anything along the way? Or what was that spiritual formation story like for, uh, for Judy? That's what relates to my boys. So that'll be interesting for you. So I thought that I was a Christian. I was raised a Lutheran and there's nothing wrong with Lutheran, but I personally today think that denominations are not of the Bible and they cause division and all that blah, blah. So for me, I thought I was saved. I was in a head-on collision in October of 87, week shy of 22 years old. And I always say, thank you, Jesus. You didn't take me out then because I don't know that I would have, I don't know that I was saved, even though I thought I was. And why I say that is until my late thirties, I didn't see how the Bible stories of old that I've heard a thousand times had anything to do with my life today. And so by God's grace, going through a horrendous like pre-divorce when I found out my husband was into porn and a workaholic, all those things, uh, I came to Christ. And it began when I started going to Bible study when my kids were little. And I forget where the verse is, but they were saying a woman by her own hands is either building her home up or tearing it down. I busted up crying so much so that they stopped the whole Bible study, all hands on me. They could just tell that was it. And I realized I was so angry and impatient. <laughs> I told you I'm emotional, but that was a turning point for me. And I praise him for that because at about that time, I had started my first business. This is back in 03. When I was home with the boys and I loved interior decorating, I was not at all trained. I was HGTV trained, okay? No, no degrees, but, but I loved interior design. So when I decided that's what I was going to do, I got a booth at a home show and I was very strategic. I'm a lawyer, so I think to win. So I said, what am I going to do to get the most out of this? And so I had all these things about how to attract people to my booth. And I secured in that weekend, 14 appointments. Ultimately, when I went through all of them, I walked away with 10 clients out of the 14. And then that was great. But I was like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? <laughs> but as I was going to those appointments, I happened to listen to Christian radio, talk radio. It was the only thing that came up on my radio about that. God is so good. And Charles Stanley and Charles, oh gosh, saw these names. Now they're going to they're gonna fail me. But I listened to Christian radio. And David Jeremiah was one of them also. And that is when I'm like, oh my gosh, this makes sense. They're tying in Old Testament to New Testament. And so with that, and then I was really further studying in my Bible study. And that was the beginning of coming to Christ, where I knew him as a personal 
savior, not just some beautiful man, God, who died on the tree for me and came back to life. And now because of that, I go to heaven. Now I get it. And now he is in my thoughts. So that the music I listened to before, I can't listen to it anymore. And the books I would read in the magazines, I can't do that. And the TV and the movies, I can't do that. And slowly he was sanctifying me. And as we talked before we hit go, my, my, my children, that's my most sanctifying work. And so it was so neat. It was tragic in the way that my marriage was falling apart, but it was the most beautiful thing because me and my three boys, and I think they will all say this, we came to Jesus together. We came to know Jesus really together because we go to church, not because we have to, we can't wait to get there. I love praising Jesus Christ everywhere. It's how I talk to him. I like to have music in the background and he and I chat. And now my oldest is a worship pastor which is insane because in fifth grade, all he wanted to do was study software and be a tech guy. <laughs> that's, that's so not him. So many of, you know, the coming to Christ, but I feel like I thought I knew him later, but I realized I didn't. And now I go hard on him and I go harder and harder. And by that, I mean, we need to stop saying what we believe and live what we say we believe. Otherwise, we really don't believe it. So that was, we'll call that a redefining success moment. It sounds like that you had and it sounds like from that point on, there's been a progression of a, at least growth and all. And I love that your boys were involved with that because sometimes situations, it sounds like you were in, it could have, there could have been a separation Could have they said, you know, no, mom's doing this thing. Parents are going through stuff. We're going to, we're going to do our own thing. So that, I think that really is a cool thing. Now, what did it do? Because I think this is one of the big challenges with kind of like the programs and the things that you have is that it's not just business. It's not just what we're doing is to quote unquote, make money, but we're doing it with our faith front and center. And I do think, I know that many people struggle with that. Now, real quick, so that you know this about me, I was actually saved in a business setting. So I've never separated them out. I was in my late 20s and it was a multi-level marketing business. I went down with 5,000 people and it was just like, bam. So I don't really even sometimes get the church thing as much. I'm like business guy and this is where ministry is for me. But I do know that a lot of us struggle with that identity because we start reading scriptures, we get around church world, we get around religious people. That's what I heard you say earlier when you're talking about denominations. And they start programming us in ways that I'm not sure is entirely healthy either for our success and for what we're trying to accomplish. So talk about some of the biggest challenges that maybe you saw after that experience and you're moving ahead. It sounds like you've been through at least a few businesses since that yeah. time. You said that was around 03. Is that right? That's my first so, in, 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 and then you were working with your sister. I don't know if that was a similar business, but what are some of the challenges that your faith, not some of the perks and benefits, but the challenges related to business and that verse in Matthew, I think it's six that says, you know, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon that sometimes yeah. messes with us as we're pursuing that, that mammon. Okay. So I'm going to talk about challenges in the law and then entrepreneurship. Challenges in the law was when I was in a stand-up firm, but sometimes they would want me to do things that I didn't feel strong in and I wouldn't budge. And they didn't understand that. And I'm going to fast forward. When I was in house counsel years later, actually my boss said, okay, 
you keep talking about Jesus. He was Jewish, by the way, but not professing. So he wasn't anything if he asked me. But anyway, I don't know that word. Forgive me. But anyway, he would say, okay, Judy, but yeah, I know you love Jesus. Can you put Jesus on the nightstand, on the table? Okay, what would be your answer but for him? I smiled and I said, there is no answer because he is in me and I can't take him out of me. That would be like me being dead. Therefore, I don't have an answer for you. He didn't understand that. So that was a challenge. I will tell you my best day in court was the Holy Spirit was talking through me. I know that. I was high for all the rest of the day. So I, Jesus, even that, and that's before my kids, that was before 03. Jesus was a part of my life, but he wasn't in my walk. But as far as an entrepreneur, the biggest challenge are not my best clients. Like when I started my first Facebook group back in 2017, some of the people were like, why are you talking about Bible verses? We're talking about real estate. This has nothing to do with it. And early on at that point, I was like, oh, maybe I should right? And even my twin sister at the time, who loves Jesus as well, she's like, yeah, Judy, got to tread lightly on that. And I'm just like, what? And now she goes hard for Christ, just like I do. It's so funny. But so that was challenging. And I'm like, okay, it's about who has a problem with it. And do I care more about what they say or about what I'm hearing from the Lord? Like that, I I always tell my ladies, you got to fully embrace who you are in Christ. You can't hide who you are. And so any challenges that you have in that, you really need to say, okay, is it, it, it's, it's a hardship. It is something in front of me that I got to somehow overcome or get around or whatever. But I don't know. I guess I'm not, I don't know that I'm giving you like where you thought I'd go, but I look on challenges as, okay, great. You're in front of me. How am I getting around it? Again, that lawyer in me just always comes out. So I never really looked at that as a challenge per se in my business. So if you can think of an example, then maybe I'll say, oh, yeah, that was the case. But I really can't think of. I like the example you brought up of the the other lawyer or the person you were working with that basically said, compartmentalize your life. Compartmentalize it. Take the spiritual, the Jesus out and tell me then. And see, one of the things I think we do is in our culture, society, there's a lot of compartmentalizing going on. And I think the as we grow, I think that those compartments come down as we grow in Christ, as we grow in our spiritual walk, and we are who we are. But I still think a lot of, I guess, business people, maybe I did it, maybe others, it's kind of like, I've got my, I got my work life, then I've got my spiritual life, I've got my, my, my marriage, I've got my raising the kids, I've got maybe hobbies, I don't have any hobbies, businesses, hobbies, but I'm sure people do have hobbies and also. But I think that's one of the things I was trying to dig at. But I'm going to hold the thought because in a little while, we're going to talk more about some tips and some ideas for the business person. And I think I'm going to, I'm going to pull it back in at that time. I, I want to shift just a little bit here because, so you went through a few iterations with business and you've done a few things like most of us and probably most people listening have done. We've been through the, the things that we, I don't want to say that we're trying to find that we like, but sometimes I've wondered as an entrepreneur, if it's just, I don't have a long attention span. I just want, just want to go do something else. But, but you said you, you did some work with a family member with your sister. What was that business? Let me say how to ask this. What was the business? It sounds like it ended up in an interesting way. I'll use the word interesting, but that things are okay now. What can you tell us about that? The reason why is it, in 08, we had business with family. 
and it was very challenging as things were going through all that was going on and we all probably messed up some way there is restoration in the relationship, but it was extremely difficult for a season. So I think there might be something for us to learn from, from your experience there. What would you like to share? So good. Okay. Like I said, she's my best friend. And so this was us coming together as coaches to teach those in real estate. Now at the time, I was either a full-time lawyer and a part-time real estate agent, not at the time, but prior to this, I was either a full-time mom or a full-time lawyer and a part-time agent. So yes, I was award-winning. Yes, I was a multi-million dollar producer, but she was the superstar. So we started this business as 50-50 partners, but I always deferred to her because she was like, the true real estate guru making almost a million bucks a year. I didn't approach that because that wasn't my lead thing. But I came to realize over time that, and I don't know that she would admit this, but there was always some sibling rivalry between us. Like I was the smart one and she was the popular one. And I was the one that did all these things. And she always did great in sales. And she got straight A's once she finally cleaned herself up and went to, not cleaned herself up, but she wasn't into drugs or anything like that. But when she got her act together, she is smart. Do we need to edit, do we need to edit that out? Is that something? <laughs> her sister finally cleaned herself up. We all need to clean ourselves up from time to time. But at the end of the day, my point to all that was, I was happy to defer to her because we had decided to specialize in real estate and that was her go-to. What I came to realize through the rest is that there was always this jockeying in her mind, jockeying of position. And then eventually it was like, okay, I'll defer, but I'm not going to be like a glorified secretary here. And combine that to, I'm all about the profit, not just the revenue. And she just wanted to like, oh, put on this event for 500 ladies. And it was the most amazing event. We had amazing people there, both on stage and in the audience. But I'm like, we don't really have to buy eight uplights and a couple hundred dollars a pop. That's not going to make a difference. Oh, yes, we do. And there's other things like that. And that's how it broke up. And there was a lot of ugliness around it. Her husband had said something to my husband and that was derogatory against me that my husband then shared at that point when everything was breaking up. And I was just really hurt. Like, how could she say that? How could he say that about me? And how could she because they were so close. How could my sister not know that her husband said that about me? And oh my gosh, did she think that about me? Like she was doing me a favor by doing business with me, going into business with me, instead of looking at me as a true total asset, right? And so there was a lot of that. And I remember saying, Lord, I hate her. I hate her guts. That was just me being raw. And I said, Lord, I know this is bad. Help me help me. take that feeling away. And thank God that he did. And of course, my husband, I'm very forgiving. My husband, a little bit longer. And I don't even still, I think he still has a little bit wrinkled up about that. But it was hard. And it may be, I see now when people say, don't go into business with family. And because of that experience that I had, I would always counsel anybody and everybody. Do not. Okay. Because we're, if anybody would have said, I couldn't work with my sister. I would say you're insane. There was a lot of hurt there. Do I regret doing it though? See, I don't regret things. I don't regret. It was a learning experience. So God intended it. Otherwise it wouldn't have happened. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of hurt, but I'm a quick forgiver. Or... <laughs> At least so, I tried. <laughs> so one thing about that, Judy, and thanks for sharing that, because I think there's a lot of value to 
people listening in because to, what I hear is why partnerships need to be structured a certain way. Yeah, you were y'all were twin sisters, which either enhanced or hurt, depending on because I'm guessing she's a strong personality, also correct. Yeah, and so I'm going to ask a couple more questions that you may or may not know the answer to, because I think there's, this is a good learning point. Do you really think it was a 50, 50 partnership or should it have been structured differently? I know this is hype. This is hypothetical, but this is so that we can kind of. It's so good, actually, because I'm a lawyer too. Well, yeah. Should it have been 50, 50? I can't imagine neither one of us would have caved if it were 51, 49. So that window is the reality knowing us. And my husband, God bless him, doesn't have an entrepreneurial bone in his body. And I wouldn't trust her husband to have been a decider of any ties to bring them into this. But it did come to a stalemate where one of us had to give. And each one of us felt like we were the one that was constantly giving to the other. And so we're both more mature now than we were then. And it wasn't that long ago, 10 years or whatever. But as a practical matter, that is not optimal. When two people are 50-50 because there's no tiebreaker and there's nobody else to, for lack of a better word, be a referee on some of those decisions. Yeah. Then what about this? What about the roles? Were they d defined well? We, we sort of define the roles well, but I'm not sure that we should have been 50-50. We had three companies and it probably should have been skewed with the different companies like one company should have been 75, 25, one should have been 60, 40, and the other one maybe 50, 50 or something like that. You know what I mean? And we needed to, one of us needed to be president, CEO of one company and someone be the CFO of the other. You know, you know what I mean? Did y'all have that? Or was it just like two awesome people coming together and say, let's go into business together. And we're twins too. Yeah. I would say the latter. Like back then, I didn't know then what I know now. And she was officially the CEO and president, and I was the VP. But there were no, we basically had the same roles, except that because she was the leader, like she would be the one that would be speaking up front and that kind of thing. So it's a unique situation for you. When I hear that with the three companies, if they were the same people, then the first thing that came to my mind is then, I don't know how many there were, but if there were three, that would be perfect because one is the lead here. One is the CEO here, another one here, another one there. And then your roles would be more easily defined. I think that our immaturity in actually being entrepreneurs, even though I had been one at that point for 14 years or about that time, and because of our relationship, we just didn't imagine the adversity that we would be and the controversy that would arise for being in business together. Yeah. I think the biggest thing I say, and I'm interacting right now with some people that are I'm interacting with them. I'm not really engaged in a formal capacity, but they're going through some partnership struggles because they didn't discuss this. And this is a tough thing to say. They didn't discuss the divorce when they got married. Unfortunately, in business, I don't think you need to do that in marriage, but in business, what does it look like when we split before we even get started? And most people don't discuss that. I want to shift though. I want to start talking about joyful scaling and the word joyful just jumps out when I go to your stuff because joyful is not a word that we really bring into our discussion in culture, society, business, spiritual, church world. None of that comes in 
with Joyful. So how did that come to be? Give us the formation story of Joyful, the Joyful Scaling, the I guess there was a podcast and your company and all of that. So when did that come to be and how? Yeah, that's totally a God thing. That's totally a God thing. When I was thinking about how my, my, what my approach to business is and how I would teach others what I had learned through the years, joy was a word that the Lord gave to me. And you had mentioned hustle a couple of times. Hustle, it was almost like glorified in, in females. Oh, I'm, I go hustle. I'm a hustle. I'm a hustler or something. And it's just like, why would you boss babe, it? Boss babe, which... Yeah, boss babe. And that, to me, uh, I was never that. I was never that. And anyway, I, and you know, it's funny. I'm going to digress because it came up. The boss babe and these words. Okay. In 2014, I started a nonprofit. It was called Powerful Woman of God. And I did a live event in my church. And I abbreviated it and called it PWOG. Do you know, everybody raved about the event, but one woman said, that's degrading to say PWOG. It's Powerful Woman of God. I am not a PWOG. Anyway, everybody can take issue with words. So it's not about nomenclature, but to me, it's about the force behind the words. But with joy, what came to me was that was the acronym of my original methodology. It was the jumpstart, optimize, and yield. So that's how that came to me. Now, that was earlier on. And more recently, I've taken those same general concepts, which I'm happy to talk about if you like. But now it's not the JOY acronym. It's something a little bit different, but it's those same scaling strategies, for lack of a better word. So, and when was the, when did you, when did all of this begin forming up the kind of like the current company and companies that you have, I guess you call it Judy Weber Co. When did all that come to be and, uh, and begin developing? Yeah, it was the summer of 2019 and I'm actually oh. Judy Weber, Judy Weber LC, but I trade as Judy Weber Co. because it's cooler. I like it, it does better. sound cool. <laughs> Yeah, I decided it. And plus JudyWeber.co. They didn't have JudyWeber.com. If you go to JudyWeber.com, it's a very flaky site. So JudyWeber.co, JudyWeber.co made sense. So it was at this time when I knew that I had to come up with my own methodology because I'm a lawyer. I love IP. IP is what makes your company valuable and what makes you unique so that nobody else can steal what you do and do what you do. That's where it all came. Now I forgot the rest of your question. <laughs> so the summer of 2019, which was interesting, is pre-COVID. I'm going to maybe ask a question about how you transitioned, pivoted, did all the words we've been throwing around via COVID. And, but, but so you're four years in, and I could tell from looking at things, you've worked with a lot of people. You've done a lot of things there. You've got 300 plus episodes on your podcast and just bring a lot of value but I think what I want to ask, there's two words that I want to tie together here and just have some discussion about, because I think they're foundational. One was that word joy. So we may have already addressed that unless you want to say something else about it. But the other is that word hustle, because you, just like me and a few other people, is kind of becoming a theme of our show here, is we're almost becoming the anti-hustle people. I did an episode in- yes. I did an episode, probably one of our biggest episodes, got the most play on social media. I think around the first of this year, we're recording and releasing this in 2023 called Jesus Never Hustled, Why Should You? And it's it was fascinating teaching. It was just me on mic doing it. But talk about it because I get the feeling from talking to you, your energy levels and things like that, 
that you're probably really good at hustling when you decide to, and you probably have done it quite a bit in the past. Would that be accurate? Absolutely. I, I was proud of that. I was so super proud of the fact that I could do anything. I could outwork anybody. No yeah, doubt you, about it. You don't need anybody because if it is to be, it's up to Judy, right? You could do it. You could do it on your own strength, your own power. And then somewhere along the way, Jesus comes in and says, release everything, operate in Sabbath, relax, live with joy. I find, this is something I find, I'm going to mention this and you can say something about it. I find that when you are truly immersed in that hustle culture, it is impossible to live with joy. What are your thoughts? It's virtually impossible, yes. Or to going back to something else we said, compartmentalizing. On Sunday morning, when you're not thinking about it, if you are a hustler, but you're in church, maybe then you could experience some joy because you're in his presence, the, pre the presence of the Lord, and you're not thinking about work, even for that time frame. But here's what I've learned about hustle. You get to a place where you're just exhausted and you say, Lord, I don't want to keep doing this. If this is what I have to do to sustain my business, ain't having it. No, thank you. And then one of my coaches said, you know what? If you make your money in hustle, that's how you will always feel like you have to make it. Like there's no other way to make it. So what if you could sign the clients you want to sign, make the impact you want to make and have the money that comes along with that at such high levels, but it doesn't require you to overwork, overthink, over hustle. And through years of this coaching and self-coaching, like I developed this model, I call it the faith fuel thought model, where I learned to manage. I teach, I've learned, and God, that was a direct download from the Lord. And I teach my clients how to manage their mind, which is really how to stay out of the drama and identify a lie for a lie and God's truth for the truth that it is. But really, success isn't really about the doing. It's not even about the strategy. How do I know that? Because how many people out there? have done all the things and put in 10, 12 hour days, right? And they follow these gurus and they implement these strategies and it doesn't work. You know why? Because it's not the doing, it's the being. Who are you? Going back to your point. See, all this comes together. It's identity. Everything goes back to identity, which is, I say success comes as a result of who you believe yourself to be. Now that's, that's not this crazy worldly stuff about, I say who I am, okay? It's, I believe who I am in Christ. So that goes back to, again, am I living my faith in my business? Am I living out what I say I believe? Or am I really just paying lip service to that? Meanwhile, I leave the Lord, who I love dearly, on them, what do you call it, the desk. Meanwhile, I'm just going to do my thing. Thank you, Jesus. I'll call on you, but now it's time for me to do my thing. You've got to do your thing with Jesus at every moment. And when you realize that, and it's hard to put into words, Tim, because you have to go through this journey in order to fully understand and even be convicted from the get-go. I'm not living what I say I believe. And so if I do believe that God can do the impossible, he can make that possible, and that he's in the business, quote-unquote, of doing the miraculous, right? If I really believe that, why am I grinding? Why am I hustling? Why am I ruminating in fear and doubt and overthinking and overwhelm? That is not for his people. That's just totally not. And so I'll just pause there and take a breath and see what your thoughts are in reaction to that. Got a lot of thoughts and I'm watching the clock here. Probably need more time, but 
had a conversation the other day with someone and it revolved around this word trust. And one of the things that was fascinating about it, and if I think back on my life, I'll maybe pose it as a question, let you respond to it also. All of my hustle activity is related to, I didn't trust that God would take care of it. I felt like it had to be me. And I thought this is where pride and ego comes in. I thought I was fairly smart, pretty good in business, pretty good at doing this, that I could outwork just about anybody, all faults, by the way, just to go ahead and say that. And so really, I think at the root of it, a lot of us, it's a trust issue. And I want to start shifting this conversation. You work with a lot of women. What do you see them struggling with, especially related to this topic? Because this is something I'm sure you have a lot of high achievers step into your programs. You have a lot of people that have done well and are looking to do better. They probably have this dis-ease, which is called, if it is to me, it's, if it is to be, it's up to me. What are you seeing with them or what do you want to respond just with me talking about that issue of trust? Yeah. I think if I believe what I say, I believe, then I really, I either trust God or I don't. I either believe what he says or I don't. What I find with women that come to me, whether they're in the early stages of business trying to get that first hundred K or if they are established and they're getting trying to get to seven figures. To me, the hardest part of it all is really coming in to own their CEO-ness, especially in the earlier stages. Let me explain. A lot of women, they've been professionals. They've succeeded in corporate or as attorneys, doctors, other professionals, licensed and all that professionals. But then they open up business for themselves and they're like totally confused. Why? Because they've succeeded in everything. I succeed in school. I succeed in my career. But this thing called entrepreneurship, it's a whole different skill set. And again, when in the early stages and they're like, it's all about mindset. Who are you being? Blah, blah, blah. I'd be like, yeah, shut up and get on to the meat of the matter. Tell me what to do and I will do it. And so that's one of the things I've got to constantly, especially in the earlier stages, I've got to constantly pull the ladies back and say, You've got the goods. I know from what you're saying that you don't believe that you are an expert. You don't believe you're good enough or that you know enough. Or you, I'm newer to business, therefore. Okay. Now I want to transition over to my scaling students who are at six and multi six and they want to get to seven figures. Then the, it's not so much that they don't believe they're an expert, they do, but then it's like their control freak comes in. It's always been me. And thank you, Judy. Now I want to bring Jesus into more of my, just my life, but my business. But we're uncovering a lot of our stuff. What are some areas you mentioned before, even of self-sabotage that you may not be aware of? That's the value of a coach, right? And then also that control. Wait a minute. Why don't you have a team? And those of you that have a team, have you, are you managing them well? Are you leading them well? Do you have the confidence to do that? Or are you just trusting that they will know what to do? And then when things don't happen right, you're scratching your head like, whoo, how could that happen? So I would say those are some of the finer points that I'm dealing with, whether they're starting or scaling. It it always goes back to the issue of who are you at the very root, at the very core? So let's just say that there are questions there, and I'm not going to ask you to Because some of this stuff is, there's so many nuances, even though there's structure, but I know there's nuance. 
So we talked about earlier, we have to work with people to get out of that, that hustle mindset. We have to help them understand who they are. What are some, I guess I'm asking for some tips here in the last couple of minutes, which this is probably like a three-year process, but what are some things for someone that's going, I'm not really sure I'm questioning. Or if you've got someone who comes into a program and you, you recognize that, which I think everybody deals with it to a certain degree, but what are some things that people can, here's me putting it back on us, do, what are some things that they can do to, to work through that? What do you help them through? What are some things that you can get them moving in the right direction? Yeah. And you know what? I'll go right back to my faith field thought model which is really when you're capturing your thoughts and holding them captive as unto Christ. And so I adapted a model from, it's interesting, a secular woman who clearly says, I love money. I love money. I love it, love it, love it, you know, and I pray for her salvation. But what I did was take that and mold it and make it really powerful because Christ is at the center of it. So it's about evaluating your thoughts and then saying, okay, who's the source of that? To me, there's only two sources of any thought. It's either a lie of the enemy or it's truth of the Lord. And so when you identify that it's a lie, then you say, okay, so how is that? How can I turn that, what I believe to be a lie? How can I look to see a thought that not only serves me? Because, okay, this is way different than affirmations. Worldly affirmations just say, how many, how many, how many? And they repeat stuff and they think that's going to make a difference. No, that's just a bunch of ooey. Okay, but what makes this powerful, this model is we go back to scripture, right? So I'll give you a quick example. So if the circumstance is your business and your thought is, gosh, I'm stuck at 250K, I cannot get past it no matter what I do. Okay, that's a lie, right? How do I know it's a lie? Anytime we say I can't, anytime I say I don't know, that's a lie. Okay, because we have the mind of Christ, hallelujah. And so what we say is, okay, now we go down and we say, what is, what are the promises that God gave to all his children in the Bible. Everybody should have their go-to dozen scriptures or so, right? Romans 8, 28, more than an overcomer, all that stuff, right? But then also the second level of that is, okay, what did the Lord tell you about you, about what he sees for in you, what he has for you, the business itself and the clients that he's already has ready for you to like just step out and face so he can get them to you, right? So then even beyond that, then we go to the worldly, but I'm a lawyer. So of course I say, okay, now we got God's promises to you as a child of God. Now we got God's promises to you to what he specifically told you. Okay. But now we're going to go back to the evidence that you've already seen in this world and say, how is it that you can get past 250? Like a lot of the times, like, I don't know. Okay. How do you know? How do you know? You already know what you, how to tweak your marketing or how to be better in sales, that kind of thing. So there's a lot more I could say on this, but it all goes back to what did God say? And understanding that is the answer. You have the answer in you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's inside you. Like this whole methodology, which I, I don't have time to get into, but the joyful scaling method, this all is a download of the Lord. If I wouldn't have sat quietly, and ask him to tell me, and I love Jeremiah 33, three, tell me something amazing today, Lord. Tell me something unsearchable that I do not know. And last thing I'll say is this, as you hear me talking about this, I'm talking free form. I didn't know what questions you were going to ask me. Everything comes back to scripture. I'm not one of these coaches that just throws in a verse here or there. I bring you back to it. 
Really? Do you think that's who you are? Really? And what did God say about that? Like, I'm always pointing them back to Christ. And that is why the mindset piece is so much more important in the strategy, because when you know who you are in Christ, then you'll step up and do the scary things that you thought you could never, ever do. And now you're doing it with ease and joy. That's the whole point. Yeah. And, and all that strategy. See, here's the thing I cha- that's challenging. If people don't get the root of what you're discussing, then there's so many distractions out there. There's so many strategies, there's so many techniques, there's so many tools, there's all these things and people are bouncing, they'll be bouncing all around with every bright, shiny object and writing big checks to people that'll try to tell them how to do this or that. If they don't get that piece you're talking about, which kind of goes back to what we said at the beginning, the identity of really who they are. So that's cool. So you're really trying to help people get to their identity, which is awesome. One one thing I'd like to ask here, a couple things before we finish up. What are you, how do you define success? When we because that word, see, I think it's a word that's overused in our culture, society, our world. And at one point for me, it was probably it had an attachment to possessions and financial and things like that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with those things. It's just I think sometimes it can be a shallow definition. But how, what's your just this is a totally off the cuff question, but how do you define success for you? Success to me is when I think about all the things I've done and I think the world and and others, when they read my bio, they're impressed with the law degree, the success in business, all of that kind of stuff. But what I, what I feel most successful in is as a mother, like I could have fallen down in those other things. But if I would have fallen, and I'd made plenty of mistakes and I cry about it at least a couple of times a week. I say, Lord, help me to forgive myself because my boys have already forgiven me for yelling and all the other. But if I didn't succeed as a parent, then that has eternal repercussions. And so success for me is right there. What really matters? And so even when I work with ladies at any level, I say, look, you tell me what's success. You want to get to 5K months and that's success for you? Great. You want to get to 50K months or more? Great. Both are success. But it's about where you are as it relates to Jesus Christ and walking in his calling on your life. And it's so unique person to person. You know, there is no objective success in my mind. Yeah. And the reason that I like that is it's personal. Because I think so many people were in this comparison game and social media and things like even podcasts and all people are able to compare so easily. It's still personal. What, where, what is your role? Where, what is your position and role in God's kingdom? And I think when we identify that, then there's clarity and then we know what our strategies and all needs to be. And that's what I've heard this conversation has been all about. Judy, we could, we could converse for quite a while here, but why don't you tell us I know you've got a few programs, you've got resources. I've listened to your podcast, which is Joyful Scaling, the podcast. If you're listening here, definitely it would be a value to jump over and listen there. But where can people find you and what all you can you tell us about your resources and things that you have? We'll try to include all that we can down in the notes and all that. But go ahead and share that here before I finish up on a couple of things. Thank you for that. First, I would say the podcast, and the best place to find that is judyweber.co slash podcast, but I'm on all the major platforms. That is my body of work. Over 350 episodes, that captures me. It's so funny. I started January of 2020, I think, 
Yeah, 2020. So you see an evolution. If you listen to those earlier ones, I'm a different person. Like, I feel like I'm in constant breakthrough because of I'm believing God more. I'm taking him up on the, look, we got to operate supernaturally, not temporally. And so I take that seriously with myself so that I can be the product of the product so that my people can say, oh, wow, she's living it. She's doing crazy things. Anyway, so the podcast is a beautiful resource for you. That is, if you just do nothing other than study that, you will get huge value breakthrough for yourself. Beyond that, I have a Facebook group. It is called Six and Multi-Six-Figure Christian Female Entrepreneurs. And I don't have a fancy personalized URL, so I have to get that to you, Tim. But that is a young, like new and growing group. I go live there weekly on Wednesdays for what I call more leads, more sales, more impact, quick 15, 20 minute training. Let's see where else. I'm all over every social channel at Judy Weber Co. So I would love to connect with you. Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook are my go-tos. And I'm a connector. And guess what? Connection, you want to sign more clients, you've got to connect. And not just the fake connect. I'm talking real heart-to-heart connect. So I would be honored to to connect with your listeners there as well. Yeah, I love the connector portion of you. I also love the energy that you bring. I know this probably be a, a great value for anyone that steps into your your sphere that that we just discussed. We are seek, go create those three words, Judy. I'm gonna let you choose one of those words over the other two as my final question. Which one just resonates with you or jumps out at you more than the other two and why? Seek, go, or create. Yeah, I'm curious. Do you want to take a guess which one? I shouldn't ask that, but I felt inclined to ask you. Yeah, I think I know, but go ahead. I'll share afterwards. Okay, create, no doubt. I missed it. I was going to say go. I don't know why I said (laughs) go. Hey, that's a close second. See? Yeah. Anyway, for me, create is business is all about creating something from nothing. So it's so funny how we make it seem like it's about us, but the Lord God, you're here only because the Lord God made you. And that business is yours only because he put that idea and desire in your heart and he gave you the wherewithal to be able to walk in it. So I want everybody listening to really understand that and say, wow, at whatever level of success you're at right now, you created that as you walk with the Lord. And I want you to understand that if you've heard me talk about my methodology or anything we've talked about, and you're like, oh, I don't have a methodology. Yes, you do. Pour it out of your brain and write it down. Because if you get clients' results, you have a method. You just need to tap into your own brain to find it. Excellent. I love that. Yeah. And I think I could have gone with create, but I don't know why. I just felt like you were I'm a good. Maybe, maybe it was the energy. Judy, thank you for being a guest here at Seat Go Create. What a fun time it's been. If you've been listening in, right when you finish up here, jump over and go over to the Joyfully Scaling podcast and subscribe, listen, follow, whatever it is on your podcast player. Check that out. I like to ask one more thing. If you've been listening in here, share this episode with someone. That's the number one way that people get exposed to podcasts. Just take a screenshot and text it to someone. Share it if you're watching some clips or watching this on YouTube or something like that. Just share it. And I think people will enjoy this. There's someone I think that needs to hear this episode. Continue following and giving us ratings, reviews. We appreciate that. And we've got new episodes every Monday. So until next time, continue being all that you were created to be. 